I was at the tail end of the draft, so I didn't have to go. Yeah. And I had to register for the draft uh, my senior year in high school. So, I mean, I was really close to being in the, in that, in the Vietnam draft. Wow. I would have probably gotten a 2S deferment to go to college anyway, but uh, it was, it was a serious, it was a serious thing at the time. And, you know, some things happened previous to that, that surprised me. Like my dad uh, told me that, you know, if I didn't want to be drafted and I wanted to move to Canada, yeah. that that was okay with him, oh, wow. which floored yeah. me because, you know, my dad was very conservative. And in the sixties, he was very supportive of the war. Yeah. And I mean, when it comes down to the real, where the, where the rubber meets the road, as they say, yeah. um, my dad wanted me to be alive. Hello there, my fellow sophisticated creatives. Welcome to JCV Art Studio from the dressing room. If you're new to my podcast, my name is Joanna, and I am the author of The Unraveling and Dealer's Child, which will be coming out this September. Ozzy, my mini schnauzer, is in the studio with me. And I think he he recognizes my spiel because as soon as my guests say hello, he starts to he starts to bark. And he's also seen the opening scene in my book trailer. So I think he's kind of wanting a little more credit. So today I am virtually jumping across the border to Las Vegas to chat with science fiction, fantasy and mystery author. Elgin Williams. Elgin was born and raised in Springfield, Ohio. Elgin grew up on a farm in southeastern Clark County near the town of South Charleston. He's a graduate of Purdue University, the University of Texas, and the Defense Language Institute. Today, we are going to talk about his novel, Becoming Superman, book one, in his Thuperman series. Elgin, welcome to JCV Art Studio. Hello. It's good to be here. Good, good. You're staying healthy, doing all right? Yeah, I'm fine. I've uh, had both my uh, COVID shots. I had COVID back in November. Oh, wow. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't severe. Okay. Oh, so it was good. To... Good. So I'm, uh, I'm feeling really healthy and I'm ready to go. I'm flying to uh, back to Florida where I have a lot of family and yeah. uh, uh, toward the end of the month, my uh, great niece is getting married. So good. That'll be nice. Yeah. I've had my first shot and um, man, talk about a relief, just kind of mentally going through your head, just knowing you you've got at least so far one shot. Right. Right. So, but anyways, let's get on to your book. Okay. By the way, on all your novels, I love the book covers. Um, And I love the title of another one of your series, Fried Windows in a Light White Sauce, which is book one in the Fried Window series. 
Now, two questions. What is that book about? And what authors were your biggest influence? Well, Fried Windows is another magical realism uh, novel. And I wrote it be- actually before Superman series. Um, I started writing the Superman series while I was waiting for the edits to come back on uh, Fried Windows. And uh, it's about a middle-aged computer technician who gets a chance to reconnect with his imaginary friends from childhood, Mm -hmm. except it turns out that uh, they weren't imaginary after all. (sighs) So uh, Brent Woods is the main character. He's an important sporting character in books two and three of the Superman series. And he appears or is mentioned in every one of my other series. Right. And... uh, he is my alter ego. Okay. He's a braver version of me. He does a lot of things that I would never have done. Yeah. And uh, as for my influences, I'd say Kurt Vonnegut Jr., Douglas Adams, Samuel, Samuel R. Delaney, Richard Bach, and uh, Stephen R. Donaldson. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Well, you're the third author I've interviewed that has written, I'd say, now, correct me if I'm wrong, middle grade, young adult novels, and what it is like being a child in the adult world, and thinking of the adult world and life and responsibility, have you always wanted to be a writer, and when did you actually start writing? Well, the Superman series is kind of a kind of a Disney movie type um, plot. Yeah. It's... Um, there's a lot in there that adults can enjoy as well because yeah. it has a nostalgic feel and um, you get to revisit some of your childhood memories while you're, while you're participating in the events in the book. And um, I guess I've always been a storyteller. Um, I used to exaggerate and embellish things a good bit when I was a kid. And I think a lot of writers develop that skill set early on and when I began school, I struggled with dyslexia, and uh, I was labeled as a slower learner as a result. And it was uh, it was painful for me, for me to read aloud in class with uh, the kids laughing as I fumbled and stumbled along. Yeah. So uh, I had to teach myself how to read, and I learned how to read silently, yeah. which didn't really help me for reading aloud. And I had to learn to practice and basically memorize things um, in advance of going to going to class and reading them. Um, Once I started uh, reading fiction, I was hooked and I wanted to put my own fabrications into writing. So uh, around the time I was 13 or so, I started seriously pursuing it. And that was despite my ninth grade teacher telling me I'd never be a writer. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, see, I used to hate reading as a child. And uh, it took that one book to kind of turn my life around. Yeah, that's the way it is. Yeah. And I remember um, being in school and reading out loud. And there were, yeah, it's painful. You know, you're kind of hoping the teacher just kind of skims over your head and doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) you You try to turn yourself invisible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, your novels are published through Panda Moon Publishing. Right. 
And from what I'm seeing on the internet, it seems like a great community of authors and publishers working together. And you're the director of sales and marketing, right? That's right. Okay. <clears throat> I love the community feel that, that we've developed over the past nine years. Um, originally, I began as an author with them. Yeah. And uh, once the publisher learned my background in marketing and sales, um, she asked me to help the other authors with some advice on self-promotion yeah. and social media, using social media. So uh, my role evolved from there. And Zara, the publisher, is also an alumnus of the University of Texas, so that helped. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, I've had a few people say to me how with independent publishers, independent authors, how they help each other. Um, it's, a, it's a great community. Uh, authors, authors tend to be real helpful of other authors anyway, and really supportive. Yeah. And um, you realize early on in your in your journey to become a published author that you're not really in competition with everybody else that's a writer. Yeah. Um, you know that it's it becomes kind of that that old adage that uh, you know the rising tide lifts all ships. Yeah. And if you can build a, a groundswell under several authors who are cooperating with each other. Um, it just amplifies and, and uh, extends, you know, the, the breadth of your contact with everybody else in the world. I agree. I agree because I look at it as um, another author's success. And I belong to the Sisters in Crime chapter West chapter in B.C., and yeah, a lot of our authors belong to Sisters in Crime uh, chapters as well. Yeah. In, in and different it, states. Yeah. Yeah. And it's for me, seeing the success of my fellow authors, it's, I look at it as it's a win for all, you know, the, yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about becoming Superman. Can you give our listeners a summary of what it's about? Well, the two main characters, Will and Sandra. And they have powerful imaginations. They're both precocious eight-year-olds, and they've been best friends for their entire lives. And they uh, they live down the street from the oldest house in the neighborhood, a spooky place where an old lady lives with her brother and her big scary guard dog. Guard dog. And uh, the neighborhood kids believe that she's a witch. Yeah. And uh, it's summer vacation and. Like most Midwestern kids in the 1980s, their priorities are Little League Baseball, riding their bikes, playing in the community park, and letting their uh, imaginations run wild. Not necessarily in that order. <laughs> <laughs> but over the course of one eventful week, they also learn they're developing magical abilities, uh, which are turning into their superpowers. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's great. Um and I haven't talked about this. I just realized when I was doing up the questions, I haven't mentioned, brought up this subject, this topic, discussion point in any previous podcast. And that is the all important first sentence. Um, and I was just, I was a little astounded with myself because we all know when we pick up the bo a book, we see the cover, 
we flip back to read the blurb. And then we think, oh, if it's really good. Just one second, Alvin. That's enough. <laughs> Alzi wants to participate. Yes, he does. <laughs> but so if it makes it past the front cover, the back blurb, what do we do? We open it up to that very first sentence. And uh, that's where the catch is. And I was, I really enjoyed your very first sentence. I didn't know if you wanted to read it or if it's okay if I read it, what would you like to do? I'll give it a shot. Okay. In 1986, when I was six, there was an unfortunate accident on the school playground involving a pretty girl named Judy, a bully fifth grader named Jake, and a teeter-totter that hit me in the chin, causing me to bite off the tip of my tongue. After lots of blood, 73 stitches, and a couple of years with a school speech therapist, I still talk with a lisp. Okay. I was immediately taken back, taken back to being a child and playing on those amazingly dangerous teeter-totters. Okay. I think of all the safety requirements we have now with child safety seats, yet we we let you, we run amok on those teeter-totters. So uh what what was the motivation? Why did you want to start with that sentence? Which, like I said, as soon as I read it, I thought, oh God, yes. Well, it's uh that was actually the first sentence that I wrote. Okay. You know, a lot of times a lot of times when you're writing a book, uh the opening paragraph or whatever isn't what comes to you first, but this was actually what came to me first. Yeah. So it was something my muse uh delivered. So I usually pay attention to those things. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it makes you feel for the character. Yeah. Oh. And you see, um, I, you know, I believe a writer needs to be within the skins of the, of the characters. Yeah. You have to, uh, especially when you're writing in first person, you have to really bond with your characters. And uh, you immediately understand here that Will's different. And he suffered a good bit, uh, even though he's just a kid. Yeah. And um, you continue reading, or as you continue reading, you uh, discover just how important Sandra is to him. And where Will will, uh, where Will's kind of scrawny and, you know, an easy target for bullies. Sandra's kind of big for her age. Yeah. And largely fear, fearless. Yeah. And she's sensitive about her name yeah. enough that she gets into fights, you know, whenever somebody calls her Cassandra, yeah. which is her full name that she hates. Yeah. And, uh, you know, throughout the book, names are are kind of important. You know, I, I play on that. It kind of ties into my first name, Elgin. I got teased a lot, you know, for my name. And I really had no other recourse because my mom only gave me a middle initial <laughs> so okay there's a there's a long story about that whole thing okay but um you know every everyone in the book goes by a nickname or a shortened version of their name except for one of will's sisters yeah. who's the main instigator of all of his torment at home yeah so, yeah oh so i kind of singled her out <laughs> yeah 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 she's the only one that likes her name yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now Becoming Superman takes place in 1988. 
There are no cell phones, no internet. It was a different time. I remember 1988. Okay. Uh, I remember using a payphone at my high school and scrambling for a dime so I could use it, but also double checking that there was nothing gross like gum attached to the, the mouthpiece or the earpiece, right? Good times, right? Yeah, they weren't real sanitary. <laughs> <laughs> and you think about it now, you're like, oh my God, right? We, yeah, we actually use those things. Well. <laughs> yeah. So what was it about 1988 that you, you wanted to, to place the story there? You know... I think really, you know, in a realistic way, um, the 1980s were the last decade of the 20th century because the 90s is more of a prequel to the 21st century. And, you know, if you look at the 90s were such a a dynamic period of change and, you know, evolution for us that the 80s were really the last, the, you know, the end of our innocence. In, in a lot of ways. So, but the eighties were also really magical. Um, as the decade began, I was in my twenties okay. and by the end I was in my thirties and just starting family. And, you know, I just spent a couple of years on the other side of the planet, you know, when I was in the air force and, um, I'd spent a year in California and I'd spent a couple of years, you know, in Texas again. And, um, I'd been living in Florida before that. So, you know, my life was an adventure at that point. Yeah. And the eighties were, you know, like I said, the last decade for a lot of things. And some of them we didn't, um, you know, we didn't really hate to see go, but others we ended up missing. And it was, uh, you know, there's a lot of foreshadowing, you know, they began in the eighties with, the technology that was going to change and just explode in the nineties. And, you know, back in, you know, the late eighties, who would have believed that in a mere five years or so that everybody would have a cell phone. Yeah. Yeah. See, and I look, I mean, cell phones were expensive. They were rich people things. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You were somebody if like, I think of here, I remember. So having worked in the legal background, you were somebody if, and I remember there was a lawyer who had a convertible and you were somebody, or you had money, or you were like, had it, whatever it was, if you were seen in your car holding what looked like a shoe, you know, but that was your <laughs> phone, right? To your ear. Like, like get smart shoe phone. Yes, right. Because they weren't small devices in the 80s, like, but oh, not every. Bricks. Yeah. Not everyone had that. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember the eighties and uh, it to me struck me as a decade as the generation, as we could do things like we could go and be empowered and do things, whether that was naive or not, but yeah. So in becoming Thuperman, I never knew there was an actual place. I'm Canadian as normal Illinois. So why did you decide normal? Well, there's, there's a funny story that goes along with that. Um, I was riding on a shuttle from O'Hare to, um, to Champaign-Urbana, where my daughters lived at the time. My uh, oldest daughter was working on her master's degree at the University of Illinois there. And uh, on the way there, we had to pass through this town called Normal, Illinois. 
and I was text messaging with one of my uh, grade school friends. And she asked me where I was just as we passed the sign saying, welcome to normal Illinois. And I told her where I was and she said, you're nowhere near normal, my dear. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I decided right then that I had to, I had to write a book with the uh, setting as normal. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a few years later when I was working on, uh, on, uh, Superman, you know, becoming Superman, I, um, uh, I said, what a great place that would be to have a couple of superheroes, you know, <laughs> a town called normal. Yeah. I like that. I like that. The, the contrast there. Yeah. Yeah. So Will and his best friend, Sandra, so they're, they're, they're best friends. They're, they're, you know, they've got each other. Um, Sandra helps Will become a better baseball player. Will is trying to help Sandra, whose mom wants her to play piano. Um, you write, so I think Sandra hates playing piano as much as I hated playing right field on the Little League team. Gifts turn into curses just because parents and other adults won't let, let kids do what comes naturally, play. And I thought, oh, yes. And I'm hoping parents are reading your novel to their children and they pick up on the mess on that message is, are, is that what you were, are you hoping for too? Yeah, because, you know, children learn from playing. Yeah. I mean, they, you know, it's called role-playing, you yeah. know, most, in, in most of the cases and, you know, adults do a lot of that too. I mean, if you're trying to learn a new uh, skill. Yeah. You know, you work through it by role playing. So you continue playing throughout your life. It's just that you lose a lot of your, uh, your imagination, a lot of your fantasy, a lot of your attachment to fantasy. Yeah. So, you know, when my kids were young, I had as much fun as possible with them. Yeah. But I was, work was always dragging me away too. So yeah. on my days off, I made a point of taking my kids places and doing fun things. Yeah. And, you know, it also got the kids out of the house. My wife could do things and she could, uh, she could go shopping, you know, with her friends and yeah. whatever. So, so it gave her a break too. Yeah. And, uh, you know, at night I would read to my kids and sometimes I uh, created stories to tell them off the top of my head because that's one of the things I do. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I was working on my first novel back then. It wasn't Fried Windows. It was a sci-fi thing called uh, One Over X. And I was also working on another story that uh, developed into the Wolfcat Chronicles, which is a series that's going to begin being released probably later this year. Yeah. And um, the reason I the reason I started uh, the Wolfcat Chronicles was because when I'm reading bedtime stories to my kids, I had no problem finding, you know, interesting male characters to read to my son. Yeah. You know, and, you know, heroic uh, figures. But those things didn't exist for my girls. Okay. And I wanted uh, my daughters to have, you know, a female character that I could identify with. So I started telling them stories about Ilana, the the uh, wolf cat yeah 
And, um, you know, the characters of Lucy and Straub and Fried Windows um, developed from that. And also Sandra and becoming Superman. Yeah. So uh, now that I'm retired, sometimes I take care of my grandson. I realize all the important moments that I missed in my children's lives. Yeah. And uh, seeing the world through his eyes reminds me of all the magic that, uh, that we give up to become adults. Yes. Yes. I think of our kids, my husband and I, our kids, and uh, we have two girls. And I have said to him many times, I, he is, was a really good father for them. And part of it was he, at sometimes he would just be a big kid himself and the girls loved it. You know, like it, it was because they'd look and see what dad's doing, right? Dad's, you know, and it's, it's so important. And they still, they have such a good communication still. Well, right? it, it, it makes great memories for them yeah. too. I mean, whenever you're together again, they always bring up those silly things. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So um, Sandra and Will. What I like, and like you said, there was a there was nostalgia when I was reading your book. Um, you know, Sandra has dreams. She wants to go to California. She wants to visit places. Um, I thought of her as smart, a risk taker. Um, I thought of more Will as being, I don't want to say more thoughtful, but more realistic, more maybe more problem solving. And he offers Sandra this solution, which I thought was great because she wants to go visit. She's saving her money. She's going to California. And, uh, uh, you know, Will says to her, well, how about for now, <laughs> you look through your mom's Viewmaster reels so you can see the world. And I had a Viewmaster. And when I read that, I'm like, yes, <laughs> right? Click, 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 <laughs> you know? So is you were you trying, are you you connected with me as an adult and that was your goal well i succeeded yeah 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 <laughs> whether it was my goal or not i succeeded in that yeah um yeah will's a bit more practical i think but uh he's easily persuaded into doing things that sandra wants to do just because he wants to please her yeah but um he doesn't want her to get hurt either. Yeah. So there's a conflict, an internal conflict with him. And that plays out, you know, in, in you know, the climactic scenes in, in the book too. That, uh, you know, Sandra's more impulsive. She wants to, you know, just get in there and do, do things. And yeah. uh, he pulls her back from the edge sometimes. And, you know, let's think this through and, you know, figure, figure all these things out. So. And Sandra is strong and fearless, you know, and she'll, but she doesn't want to cross her mother. So she, even though she hates the piano and would prefer playing the guitar, she just struggles through with that. And Will helps her bolster her confidence to kind of stand up to her mother. And um, Will and Sandra are, are a good team. You know, they complement each other um, to the, to a point and you know yeah. it becomes it becomes hard as you go along in the book it becomes hard to imagine them not being together yeah and it's interesting you bring up the piano you know because i i it brought back memories for me um our oldest 
she was age four, age five. I started her in piano lessons. She was really, really good. The piano teacher started putting her into festivals and she was winning, right? She was winning. The, we have all these uh, competitions, uh, music festivals, com- competitions here in, in where I live. And she got up to her grade eight in piano. We had moved. So she lost that teacher who from such an early age. And she, so we found another teacher and I remember, so she's 13, 14. And uh, if she, she had three more levels to go and, or no, she had two more levels to go where she could become a student piano teacher and make some money. Right. And uh, I remember she said to me one day, she goes, mom, I don't want to play the piano anymore. And I just thought, okay, you know, so, you know, the adult part of me is thinking, God, Ashley, when you're 30, you could make extra cash teaching piano to kids, right? You know, because she was so close to getting her student teacher, right? you know, but I thought this, she's 13, you know, I, but the other part of me is I, because she is so good, I am not forcing this on her because I do not want her to hate playing the piano. So I just said, okay, okay, if you want, just if we can finish this term, right, we've signed up for this term, we finished this term, you don't have to, you don't have to do piano anymore, right? So now she looks back on it. And she's, you know, saying to me that she wants to get back to it. She's a student nurse now, she wants to get back to it. And I said, in time, when you have time. It's like I say, it, your story was very, it brought up memories for me. So thank you for letting me share that. <laughs> <laughs> now my son, uh, my son was that way with karate lessons. Okay. And I mean, it's, it's a different thing, but uh, he, he got an adult black belt when he was nine years old. Wow. And uh, I mean, he was really good and won all kinds of competitions and but he didn't want to pursue it after that. You know, he felt like he, he'd accomplished something and really he had because yeah. he, he took a, the test, which took several hours to complete alongside adults. Yeah. Oh, wow. Which was, you know, phenomenal for somebody that was nine years old. And, yeah. you know, he still remembers a lot of that. And it, it taught him a lot of things because he played football when he was in high school and he was able to avoid you know, people blocking him by using some of the techniques that he had. Okay. okay. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, it, it, it was a good skill set for him to have. Plus it, it gave him a lot of self-confidence. Yeah. So we'll, we'll get it back. To, we'll get it back to your book here. Thank you for that little, <laughs> little, little going off on a tangent there. Um, what I like with your book is how you weave little league baseball, Sandra's little fairy statues and how those two elements come together at the climatic scene. I want to know how or when did you decide to use little, little League Baseball as one important, it's an important storyline in this story. Like, how did yeah. that all come about? Well, that, that storyline was there from the get-go. Yeah. You know, I, knew that, I knew that Will um, wanted to be a pitcher on the baseball team because he shared that ambition with, uh, with me because I always wanted to be pitcher on the baseball team. I wasn't good enough to make the team. So I ended up uh, spending a lot of time in right field like Will did. So, you know, his, his first year. But, uh, 
So, you know, that all comes from personal experience. And the fairies come from a couple of girls that I, I dated who, you know, each one of them had considerable collections of little fairy figurines. Yeah. They both talked about their fairies as if they were real. They were living. Okay. I said, why not? Everything's possible, right? Yeah. yeah. It's always, I always like that when I see the two storylines connect. Right. Well, they, that becomes a much more important storyline in books two and three, you know, in the, in the series. So yeah. the, the magical elements that are introduced in book one yeah. take on a life of their own you know, in, the, in the next two books. Okay. As much as Will and Sandra are kind of like the stars, um, Will's mom, she's pretty cool. Like she's, she's understanding and, you know, how she's trying to explain to him because he's he's trying to tell her how much he likes Sandra. And, you know, the mom's trying to say how you will grow up, you know, Sandra and you may not so much be an item anymore. And then you have Bud, Sandra's dad, and he's super cool. And again, there's this opening paragraph in chapter 36 where... Uh, 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 where um, Bud, how Bud tries to explain life to them and the unexpected instant, like the unexpected, hold on, hold on. He's doing this deliberately. Come on, buddy. Okay. Bud is trying to explain how life isn't easy. It isn't always on a smooth path. It can get really messy and unexpected. And I really enjoyed this first paragraph in chapter 36. And again, if you would like to read it or if you want me to read it, what would you like to do, Algon? Well, it's your it's your turn. You go okay. <laughs> this this was very moving. So um the listeners know Bud is driving um Sandra's dad. He's in the car, and Sandra and Will are in the car as well. Okay. And I believe they're going to the shop, right? Uh, they're they're actually coming back from uh, from the store. They've been working, you know, right. putting stock away at, at Bud's store, right. and that's this is um, after the climatic scene yeah. in the book. So yeah. we're we're I'm trying not to yeah. right. <laughs> give it away. Yeah, okay. So here we go. Bud proceeded through the intersection, turning left. As he drove, he ex- explained. No matter how confident or careful you are, sometimes things don't work out like you plan. That happened to me when I was in the Army. I had some really good friends. We'd known each other since basic training, and we trusted each other with our lives. One day, we went out on a patrol. There was a dozen of us out on a routine thing. We were attacked. And... His voice cracked a little, causing him to pause as he took a right turn into the alley that was the shortcut into our neighborhood. He cleared his throat. Only three of us survived. For whatever reason, I was the only one who didn't get shot. The other two who lived through it were paralyzed. And, oh, okay, the story left both Sandra and I speechless, especially how emotional it made Bud. That was such a moment 
in that scene. And um, it was a great scene. It was a great scene, Alvin. Yeah. yeah, I knew I knew some people who served in. Uh, I mean, just because of my age, I yeah. I was at the tail end of the draft, you know, okay. so I didn't have to go. Yeah, and I had to register for the draft uh, my senior year in high school. So I mean, I was really close to you know being in that in that in the Vietnam draft. Wow, I would have probably gotten a two S deferment to go to college anyway, but. Uh, it was it was a serious it was a serious thing at the time, and you know some things happened previous to that that surprised me. Like my dad uh, told me that you know if I didn't want to be drafted and I wanted to move to Canada, yeah, that that was okay with him, oh, wow. which floored yeah. me because you know my dad was very conservative, and in the '60s he was very supportive of the war. Yeah. And, I mean, when it comes down to the real, where the rubber meets the road, as they say, my dad wanted me to be alive. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, it's, um, it's a common thing among all the people I knew that, that served and survived. You know, they, they would tell stories, you know, they would come back and, and they would tell stories and you would, uh, you know, as horrible as the stories were, there were also stories they wouldn't tell. And you just, you were like, what happened over there that, that was worse than that? Yeah. You know? Yeah. It, it was such a moment. And there's elements and scenes in the story that would appeal. Like, it definitely, it's, it's a middle grade reader story, but I hope adults are reading it to their children. I used to read books to my, our girls. And uh, because like you said, there's, there are scenes, there's conversations, um, which adults can relate to, or, and even as an adult, as a parent, it also takes you back to your childhood as well, you know, and, and that was neat as, as I've, I've mentioned on, on our podcast, right. In your acknowledgements, you mention posting draft chapters online at a writing community to receive feedback from members. And I was wondering, I've, I've seen this and I know I've registered for Wattpad, but I've, I've, I haven't gone further with that. How, are, how have you found that experience? You know, joining a community like I did was frightening at first. Yeah. Um, I mean, I published a book at that point, but it wasn't, you know, tremendously well-received or anything. So, um, I did have a little bit of experience in the publishing business, but, and most of the people that were in the community had virtually none. Yeah. There were a lot of poets in the community, but uh, there were a lot of, they called all of us prosers, you know, people write books, <laughs> but uh, um, everyone participated, you know, reviewing um, each other's work and giving crit criticism and advice. Yeah. And, you know, the experience helped me to learn to listen to feedback and grow a thicker skin. Yeah. You know, take criticism, you know, the way it's intended, not personally. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I made several good friends from all around the world, you know, while I was in there and I'm still in touch with them. That's so, excellent. Yeah. That's excellent. All right. Winding up here, Elgin, I want to know what you're reading now and you've what you're working on now. I know you're working, you got to be working on an, on a novel. 
I'm kind of between books in both respects. Uh, I finished a couple of pre-release things that um, that Pan the Moon's uh, going to publish. Um, one of them's uh, Ten Days it's by Jules Selbo, who used to be uh, a uh, screenwriter, and she's a professor who teaches uh, screenwriting. Okay. And um, she has a number of uh, strong female characters in her book, and it's a really it's really well written. It's a a mystery. Okay. It's a crime mystery. Okay. Um, so that'll probably be out sometime this summer. And then there's another uh, another book that I read recently is uh, called Concession Stand Crimes by Nicole Aslan. It's the second in her cozy mystery series that has a female sleuth that uh, her family owns a minor league baseball team in you know Massachusetts. And as for my writing, I've uh, completed a couple of books. I put them through a, an additional revision period. And uh, those are in a series called The Attributes. It's a it's more hard science fiction than uh, than my other books, but it's uh, set several hundred years in the future on another planet. Okay. And um, it's it deals a lot with environmental issues and in trying to keep the environment pure and clean, and you know, learning lessons from destroying the earth, which is the reason why the people are on this other planet. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'd like to get you back on here again. We can talk an, an, about another series. Yeah. Well, you'll have to come visit uh, Christine and I on, uh, on our uh, C&E show. I would love to, for sure. For sure. So Elgin, is there anything you would like to add and where I'm finally okay saying this word, <laughs> having grown up without the internet, um, where can people find you on the socials? <laughs> <laughs> well, I have a web page. It's called elginwilliams.com. And uh, I'm also on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. So just search for Elgin Williams and you'll you'll find me. Okay. And, um, you know, I also have the podcast that I mentioned with, uh, with Christine Gabriel. She's a fantasy horror writer with Bandaman. Okay. And... Uh, that's on uh, YouTube at uh, search for Pandaverse Book Club. Okay. Will do. Will do. Well, thank you very much, Elgin. Thank you for, for coming on and, and chatting with me here. And, oh, it was uh, fun. Good, good. And listeners, if you want to hear more of the authors on my podcast, where I'm easy to be found, JCV Art Studio net and it doesn't matter whether you have iphone android whatever it's all right there all right thank you elgin well thank you okay.